been looking forward to this weather, huh? Beautiful. Yeah, and I think we're, it's coming up Friday into the 90s. Don't know if I'm ready for that. What's that? Yes, with maybe even a little rain, huh? It's amazing. Okay, well, why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths of your providence and your will and how you manage and oversee and engineer the activities of your people's lives who you love. Sometimes we can't see your hand. It's, it's blurred. And yet when we look back, we, we can see exactly what you were doing and what you meant for us as we see in the life of Joseph. So we pray that you would speak to us tonight and encourage us. We're all at different places in our faith and our life. We pray that we leave here refreshed in our spirit because of your truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's one thing to believe in the providence and in the will of God, but it's another thing altogether to accept it. Accept it. As we've been saying all along, providence is the theme of Joseph, and Romans 8, 28 in the New Testament is the verse that uh, describes his life. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah. Same thing, that's right. You can know about Christ, but it's different to know him personally. And so we can believe in what the word says intellectually about God's ways that are sometimes past finding out. But it's altogether different to accept it. And that's what we see tonight in the family, Joseph's family. They were at different stages in their affliction. And everybody in the family, including Joseph, had to come to a point where they accepted what was horribly difficult to accept. The subtitle for this is, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where the giants of the land seemed so tall and so strong, and we stood there before him and we said, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I can do what you're asking me to do. I don't know if I can do this. Well, we left off in chapter 48, 42, verse 38. Let's look at this. As you know, uh, Joseph uh, really gave his brothers the runaround and made them do some uncomfortable things. They still didn't know that the man, the royalty that was talking to them was their brother. Anybody remember why they wouldn't know that? Language, 
Lord didn't want to know. That's the overarching. The way he was dressed. He, didn't, he was shaved in his head. He probably had a beard when he was raised with them. They thought he was dead. Yeah, they thought he was dead. He became a man. Yeah, just like them. Didn't expect to see him. Spoke a different language. Had an interpreter. Nice way to stage that. An interpreter. And they didn't recognize him. He made it very clear. It's just very interesting, the questions he asked him. And he's going to ask him again tonight. How is your father? Like, who would ask that question? to foreigners coming for food. How is your father doing? Do you have any other siblings? Yes, we have a younger brother. How is your younger brother doing? I mean, who would think of that? And it's just endearing to know that that was the first place Joseph went. I want to know how my father and my youngest brother are doing. And uh, so, Joseph told them, and he was very stern with them, he was testing them. He wanted to see if they were different in their heart. Because the last time he remembered them, they were pulling him out of a pit and throwing him in the back of a caravan as a slave they sold him for as a slave. That's the last time he saw his brothers. There was no empathy. There was no heart. They sat down and ate lunch when he was screaming from the pit for, them help, for their help. That's the last memory Joseph had of his brothers. And so he wanted to test them. So he asked leading questions to find out about his father and his younger brother. And he wanted to see if they were any different. Or if they were the same criminals, heartless criminals that threw him down in the pit. And so he, he, was, he was strong. I think I mentioned this last week. You know, when we read about the love of God and the love we're supposed to have as believers, it's not what we used to call in the 70s, sloppy agape. You ever hear that phrase, sloppy agape? It's strong. It's firm. It's what held Christ on the cross, his love for us. And Joseph exudes that. He's hard on him. He's not going to be betrayed this time. He wants to check him out. I, I think I've mentioned this before that I teach on biblical boundaries, uh, which is another way of saying tough love. Biblical tough love. It's most necessary generally with family members who are difficult or pushy salesmen, or timeshare people, who are the worst, I think. They're a couple cuts below a used car salesman. Were you a used car salesman? See, I gotta watch what I say around here. <laughs> That's correct. You're a Christian used car salesman. It's supposed to be different. Philippians, first chapter of Philippians, 
Paul wrote to a church, it was his favorite church, but it was a church that was fragmented because two very strong women believed to have been two of the women that were at the river were, when Paul first met them. They were praying at the river because there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi at that time. And two of the women, Yotiki and Sintika, yeah, were probably the two, well, we know they were the two women that were at odds in the church of Philippi. They were probably two of the women that were on the beach, along with Lydia, sold purple goods, if you remember. And apparently, these two women in Philippi, his, his blonde-haired child of a church that he loved so deeply, were not getting along. You know, if you're in leadership in ministry, or in any category of life, or even missionaries, uh, generally missionaries and, and pastors, um, and women that are in leadership roles are not weak people. If you're weak and you're afraid of conflict, do not ever get in a leadership role in ministry or anywhere else for that matter. So these women were very strong. And we don't know what the issue was, but they were not getting along. And so when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he asked the elder there to sit down and work matters out with these two women, which is a really good case in our church today. If anybody in the church is not getting along and there's conflict in the body, for a pastor or an elder or to anyone else that has been trained in these ways to sit down and mediate between the two warring people. That's a biblical idea. So Paul writes to a church that he loves, but it's a very strong, divided church. And as you know, you've probably seen it in your lifetime one time or another. When a powerful person in a church says black and another powerful person in a church says white, people take sides. And churches are divided. We're starting to sense that there's some cracks in the foundation of that church. So Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, my prayer for you is that your love will abound and grow more and more. But this love must be showed with wisdom and discernment. Love's not love if it's not discerning and wise. It has to be strong. That's the way Joseph was with his brothers. He was being very, very wise. So the last, we leave off in verse 38, chapter 42. Joseph told um, his brothers to go back. And in order to verify their story, 
He kept Simeon behind in Egypt. And he said, you bring Joseph to me, your younger brother, or not Joseph, you bring your younger brother to me to verify your story. So I don't know that you're, so I'll know that you're not spies. And I'll send both of your brothers back, Simeon and Benjamin. I'll send them back with you. Well, when they reported that to the father, he wanted to die. He simply wanted to die. And he said in verse 38, after they made their case, he said, my son, he's referring to Benjamin, Benjamin, my son shall not go down with you to Egypt because his brother's dead. And he's the only one left. That's not true. What does he mean by that? He's the only one left. He's the only favored son left. Which was part of his problem to begin with. And part of their problem as a family to begin with. Can you believe that he said that? You're not my sons. He's the only son left. Joseph's gone and his younger brother Benjamin, whose mother was Rachel, is the only one left. Boy, that, was, that must have hurt them. And he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother's dead and he's the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. He's not going back. You can say nothing to change my mind. I've made up my mind. He's not going. Um, never say to the Lord or anyone else, that would never happen to me. He is Lord. He's wise and he decides what his providential and sovereign plan is in our life, never say, never say, that would never happen to me. Exactly what he said. That's never going to happen. My son will never go back to Egypt. Verse 1, chapter 43. Now there was a severe, now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain, so Joseph's family now have eaten all the goods that they were sent back with. They've run out of food now. We know how many months have passed by. But when they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. Go again and buy us a little food. Now, did he forget what the arrangement was supposed to be. He was supposed to only send the brothers back. 
with Benjamin. Joseph told them, you will not see my face again until you bring your brother with you. The father was so upset at that, he said, he's never going back. Did he all of a sudden forget? What's he doing here? He says, go again and buy us a little food. I'm hungry. I guess when men, men are like bears, you know. When we're hungry, our reasoning skills are not very good. We only have one thing on our mind. But Judah, now keep in mind, Judah is the third in line for leadership. The third in line. The first one was, I believe, Reuben. But he was out of his father's good graces. Does anybody know why that is? Well, he had led the pack in slaughtering a village who I believe raped their sister. Reuben had blood on his hands. And in a sense was demoted. The next brother in line for leadership or patriarchal headship was Simeon. And he's back in Egypt, held as a ransom until Benjamin arrives. And Judah was number three in line of the older brothers. So he assumes this role and he stands up to his unreasonable father. His stubborn, unreasonable father who, he probably didn't know it at this time, but is trying to stand in the way of the sovereign God's providential plan of redemption. He's standing in the way. And so Judah speaks up. We know the Lord's helping him here. He doesn't know it, but the Lord's speaking through him. Listen to what he says. He's getting pretty confrontational with his father too. He's getting strong. It's called tough love. But Judah said to him, the man, that is Joseph, solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So he says to his father, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down for the man said to us he's saying it a second time for emphasis dad second time for the man said to us you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you you've had those conversations in your homes before no that's not what i said dear or son or dad what I said was this and I said it because I meant it and because it's the truth you know so he's standing up to his father and look what his father does Israel said why do you treat me so badly what word comes to your mind when you read that Anything? 
How about victim? Why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Excuse me? So he's quite confused. We know that he's grieved for years. He's afraid about the situation and the famine. But the way he deals with his affliction, you know, we have different ways of dealing with trials and affliction. We all have different ways. His way is self-pity. Now, if you look just up, I won't find a verse necessarily. We don't have to go to it. But when they came to report to him that Simeon was left there and now we have to bring our younger brother. Anybody remember what he said? Everything is against me. Now they're speaking the truth to him. All they're doing is stating the truth. They're fighting for their family's life. And he says, why are you treating me so badly? Victim. So there are some of us that go through times, and maybe it's, part of the, maybe it's part of the grief cycle when we lose something or lose someone, but self-pity is what we see here. He's still grieving, but it's inappropriate. They replied, now listen to it, this is honest. I mean, this is one of the rare times the brothers are honest. They've lied to their father for 20 years. Now that their hide is on the grill, they're honest. Israel said, why do you treat him so badly? And they replied, verse 7, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to the question. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? I mean, he's going, they're going, Father, we answered him in response to his questions. They were afraid they couldn't read his mind. The father's being unreasonable. Completely unreasonable. He's stubborn. He's unreasonable. And no one is telling him what to do. At this moment. Verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. Our family's at stake. We have to do this. Isn't it interesting that the father Jacob was willing to let Simeon rot in prison? Nothing, no, nothing is said about Simeon. And he's going to let his family starve and not send Benjamin. He wasn't thinking clearly. And he needed to be confronted. 
even if it was, he was a father figure and a patriarch. Look at the wisdom Judah has. Do you know what tribe Christ came from, his lineage? The tribe of Judah. Christ was born out of the tribe of Judah. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Listen to what he says to his father now. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice by now. Dad, make a decision. Our family's life is at risk. Make a decision. Verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. There's his first sign of acceptance. He just would not let go. Is there an area of your life that you think the Lord's trying to pry your fingers off? Or requests that are being made and you're just not budging? When you think maybe the Lord's in this. Just maybe the Lord's in this. You know, it's, as far as marriage goes, uh, my wife and I were reading a devotion this morning. It was talking about how to edify each other as husband and wife without saying any words. And uh, this couple talked about, you know, when we're irritated, our spouse, you know, we tell them what to do. We tell them how to drive. We tell them, you know, how to fold the clothes. We tell them, you know, what to add to this meal. We tell them this. We tell them that. Or how to invest money. And we tell them, we tell them, we tell them. We tell them. Kind of reminds me of a, a guy I met at our last men, our men's retreat a couple years ago. They came from another church, and there was five men, and one guy was there. And uh, how many of you retired? You'll appreciate this. Retire, you'll appreciate this. And so uh, I go, you've been retired for a while now, haven't you? He goes, yeah, two years. I go, how's it going? He goes, well, that first year was really rough. I go, it was? Why? Because it took us a year to figure out that we weren't the boss of each other. And once they figured it out, they started getting along. We're not the boss of each other. So in this devotional we're reading, they were suggesting that, you know, if there's something that your spouse needs to do, and for whatever the reason, again, they're not doing it. Why don't you go to the Lord and ask the Lord to change their heart and get out of his way? Because when the Lord does that to us, it really sticks when it comes to the Lord. Now, what are you looking at each other for over here? Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> I told you so. Four words that you must never say in your marriage, but it's really hard not to. Okay. He said, okay. It must be so. He accepted the unacceptable. Do you know that when we resist against what the Lord's trying to do and we don't know it's the Lord yet and we resist, the more we resist, the more painful it becomes. They say, the experts, if there's a drowning victim who survives, their story is pretty much consistent. The hardest part of the drowning experience was the fight to stay alive. But once I gave in and took in water, it was one of the most peaceful experiences of my life. So I don't know if you're in a resisting place right now. But sometimes the only thing to do is to say, okay. I had a couple at one of the churches that I was an associate pastor at, an elderly couple. I might have told you this before. And uh, my wife and I, Jenny, 19 years ago, we were married, and they were very encouraging to us. And they gave us a little bit of advice early on. They said, we have finally learned in our marriage that we would rather be happy than right. Let it go. That's what he says. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, Joseph. A little balm and a little honey, which was a, a commodity, a precious item to those in Egypt at that time. Gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, they felt they were being hijacked and set up. And perhaps it was an oversight. So I not only want you to return the money, I want you to double the money and take it back to show them that we are of good intentions. We didn't mean to take anything. Take also your brother. I mean, that must have killed him to say those words. Take also my youngest son, my only son left. Take him. Take him with you. Verse 14, so significant. And may God Almighty grant you the mercy before this man, and may he send back your other brother, Benjamin. 
You know, when we finally yield our rights and we finally submit to the Lord's will, like Jesus did, you know, he showed us how to do this, right? When he was fighting for his life, the man side of Christ said, Father, please no. I don't know if I can do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, it says in one of the Gospels that once he said that, he stood up, he walked to his sleeping friends and said, stand, arise, here comes my accuser. Let's stand before the torches and the spears and take it. Sometimes I think dropping our stubborn guard leads to more courage. I like his last phrase, Jacob. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, then I am bereaved. Now he's ready. He's ready for God to use him again. If it happens, it happens. I have to let him go. If my faith truly is in the providence of God, I must submit. Hmm. Much like Abraham had to do with Isaac, when Isaac was on that stone and he had a knife held up to slay his only son. Man, that's tough stuff. All these men had to come to a point where they accepted the most tremendous affliction in their life and trust God. Joseph had to do it. The brothers have to do it. And the father had to do it. And so if something is facing you right now that is tremendously frightening or hopelessly depressing, prayerfully struggle it through. Get on your face before the Lord. Cry and pour your heart out. and then submit to whatever he wants. Anybody have a comment on that or an experience with that? Yeah. So we can say, really. Okay. So is there any area in your life right now where you have to do that? Accept the reality of the trial and the affliction and the trouble that you face now as God's child. Accept it. Lean into it. When I was going through my divorce, um, I read a book. This is a good one for you to write down if you know someone that's really going through difficult times. 
uh, and it was by Larry Crabb, who's a Christian psychologist, and he wrote a book called Shattered Dreams. And it's based on the, the book of Ruth. Shattered Dreams. It was the only thing, when I was going through my divorce, it was so heart-wrenching, and I mentioned that before, but the only thing that really gave me air to my lungs, spiritual air to my lungs, was reading the book of Job and the book Shattered Dreams. And the man that wrote Shattered Dreams said, don't run from your grief. Lean into it. And watch the work that God does in the depths of your soul. Verse 15. Dad's gotten out of the way now. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now just picture the scene here, gang. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, I mean, can you imagine the emotion? He's not seen this boy for 20 years. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. He's coming good on his promise. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. They were like a thousand percent wrong. But that's human nature, isn't it? Why do we think the worst? Why do we second guess ourselves? We do it all the time, almost every day, in, relate, in our relationships. We do it as pastors. We do it as individuals at work. We do it after we've had a holiday meal with our family. And we think, I should have never said that. I wonder what that person's thinking about me. Can I share something with you? Most of what we think about in terms of what people think about us doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. But it's the first place we go. It's just the level of our insecurity, I think, you know. It's a vain imagination. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, really good way. So that's exactly what they do. They, 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 they take the microscope of their faith, which was pretty small, they turn it from the big lens down to the little small, small peak hole, and we're looking through that. 
I know he's going to do this, I know he's going to do that, and then he's going to take this, and then he's going to take that, and none of it happened. <laughs> well, they didn't want to walk back, I'm sure. They, they worried about the donkeys, yeah. Most of what we worry about never happens. That's why Jesus said it's completely useless. Completely. And I love out of Matthew 6 when he talks about why we shouldn't worry. The last verse, I can almost hear him say it in a Jewish accent. Why worry about tomorrow? We have enough trouble today. Anyhow, little sidebar for those of you that are stay, stay up at night wondering about what could or should or might happen or what they're thinking and feeling that probably they're not thinking or feeling. And the Lord wants us to trust them with all that anyway. Anyhow, um, and the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. Verse 19. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house. Now they're, 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 they're trying to sell themselves here. They're trying to take matters in their own hands. They're trying to manipulate the situation. What do you know? Their father's name means deceiver. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack or money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And listen to what the steward says. He had to be a God-fearing man. Maybe he learned that from his boss, Joseph. Uh, he replied, Peace be to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. How gracious was that? So he states to them that he's a man of faith. And they probably wanted to weep. And that's what we need to do when we think the worst. Our God is our God. And far from taking from us, he's probably getting ready to bless us. Then he brought Simeon out to them. When the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, that, now what does that remind you of? These were Joseph's betrayer. 
Jesus washes his betrayer's feet. Grace all over this. Grace isn't grace until we give it when it's undeserved. Grace isn't grace until we give it when it's undeserved. So they wash these guys' feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, even fed the donkeys... They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. So all of these foods and all of these delicacies and all of these herbs and perfumes, that was a gift for Joseph. So they're preparing for Joseph to give this gift from his father. Prepared the presents for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that had they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. What does that remind you of? The dream he had. Second time, he said they were going to bow second time, two times. Second time. And he inquired about their welfare and said, here he goes again. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? I mean, I'm kind of amazed. I mean, we know why, that he, didn't, why he didn't recognize him, but after a while, they had to be thinking, why is he so concerned about our father? They said, your servant, our father, is well, and he is still alive. And they bowed their heads, and prostrated themselves third time and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son and said is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me God be gracious to you my son he says to the boy then Joseph this is so sweet then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. I gotta be on, you got to be honest with me. Who of you in this room have had a brokenness account encounter like this in your life and you were so moved by the presence of God or the joy that you felt that you had to leave and cry maybe put some new makeup on and come back out how many of you have had that experience yeah and you know what that's like <laughs> well, that would be a good thing, Steve. Now, you talk about a, a weeping that is cleansing to the soul. My gosh. He wept. Okay, gang, where am I now? 
Thank you very much. 31. washed his face and came out and controlling himself he said serve the food they, this is very interesting they served him by himself and by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. So that was just the law in the land of Egypt. They held the Hebrews in disdain. As we know. They were slaves. For that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So the Hebrews ate in one room and the Egyptians ate in the other. Do you, does this imply that Joseph ate with the Hebrews? Maybe he ate with the Egyptians. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Why do you think Joseph gave Benjamin five times the amount? What's he looking for here? This is a test. A reaction. What kind of reaction? Jealousy. The very thing that they held over Joseph's head. Because he was the favorite. And now there's another favorite. How are they going to feel? I mean, think about it. Joseph got a robe of many colors. Should have been the oldest son, not the second to the youngest. Joseph's father favored him and Benjamin because they were sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. Clearly loved him. We just referred to him as his only son in this text. He wants to test them. They were jealous of Joseph. Are they going to be jealous of Benjamin too? Not in this sense, I don't think. See, he's... he's Gracious, but penetrating. Penetratingly gracious. Kind, but firm. Jesus came full of grace and truth. To be Christ-like, we must have both. To be silly about agape love and never have good boundaries or say no isn't godly. To be only truthful 
in a toxic way isn't godly either. Well, at least I tell the truth, so what? Nobody cares about your truth when you act that way. We have to have grace and truth. And we see that as Joseph, as he represents actually the Lord Jesus, really. He's washing a betrayer's feet, or a betrayer's feet are being washed. They should have been judged intensely. Instead, he weeps over them. He feeds them. Just like he did in closing at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, how many weeks ago was Easter? Three, four? It's all a blur now. Is Easter. I taught on this, and, and Steve did uh, last year, I believe. Back to back. We didn't even know it. John 21. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared. Peter was so discouraged he'd not been restored with Jesus yet. We know that Jesus saw him. We know that Peter was in the upper room. That the restoration of his threefold denial hadn't happened yet. And Peter, no question, was shamed because of what he did. Jesus is standing on the shore. Peter sees his friends. He's very discouraged. My theory is he had felt that he'd gone too far with the Lord and said, essentially in the original Greek or Hebrew, I'm going to go back to my fishing business. And they said, we'll go with you. And Jesus told them to leave their nets, remember? And fish for the souls of men. But they're going back to their fishing business. They're taking matters into their old hands again. Anybody know what it says right after that when they got in a boat and went fishing? That night they caught nothing. We take matters into our own hands. Nothing. Jesus comes walking on shore. He says, children, have you any fish? He knows they do. John recognized it was Jesus because that's the only one that does that kind of stuff. Throw the net on the other side. Nine-foot boat. Fished all night on the right side. Nothing. Nine feet away. So much fish. 153 they had to drag it upon the shore. Come to the Lord. He's standing there with his finger pointing in their chest on the shore. Like Joseph could have with his brothers. No. Instead, he has a warm fire with coals bread and fish cooking on them on the fire and he says come have breakfast these guys wanted Joseph dead and he gives them a feast and their feet is washed and they dine at his table 
just like the Lord Jesus. Doesn't hold our past against us. Never turns his back on us. And he looks at our wretched past and can't see anything. Because as far as the sins are from the east to the west, so far as our sins been removed from us. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Love looking at the book of Genesis in this 80-degree night. Your truth. Our concern is drawn to anyone here who is really struggling with the idea of accepting your providential reality. Lord, we don't want to be obstinate. We don't want to shake our fist at you. We want to be pliable in your hands. Would you take us there? Would you take those in this room tonight to the place where they can actually say it and believe it? Whatever they want that they can't have. Father, not my will but thine be done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Blessings on you. It's such a delight to see you, to come out here like this. See you in a couple weeks. See, we have 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. Six more weeks of this. Six more weeks of this. Uh, you can take that any way you want to. <laughs> yes. He's testing them to see if they're different men. He's testing them to see if they're different. Because they couldn't see anything but blood and rage when he was favored by his father. And he's testing to see if they're still jealous men. That's one of the reasons for sure, at least. Anybody else have an idea? How they've grown in the Lord. How broken they were. Their families weren't the same because they, weren't, uh, they were suffering from poverty. And so poverty or challenges as Christians are when you're at the deepest, at the bottom, at the hardest place is when you look to God the most. And I think you want to see. He wanted to see if they were real. Last night I had the joy, we have a, a Celebrate Recovery at Trail. You know what that is, Celebrate Recovery? It's a, a Christian, a biblical AA program for people with addictions, but it's more than that. It's actually for people that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, which is all of us. It's not just addiction, so we should all go. You know, go ahead. But anyhow, it was the 14th anniversary at our church, and we had a group there, and, and they're one of the groups that I, I love talking to. And I said, 
the reason I love talking to you, to this group, and I love talking to this group for the same reason, which I'll get to in a moment. I said, the reason I love talking to you so much is because you've been wounded. And because you've been wounded, you're real. I perceive the same thing here. You've been wounded. You're real. I don't like to talk to people that haven't been wounded before. There's not a lot of grace and empathy. You know. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate all of you. See you in a few weeks. Yes, I am. My wheels are turning already. <laughs>